what's up everybody uh we are recording this podcast actually um i generally don't do that but we built a new studio here for uh in-person appearances and then we're going to start videoing them on skype as well and posting them up on youtube as well as obviously spotify and everywhere else but i've got the great clay hayes uh clay you won season eight of alone and uh yeah dude you crushed it on there and uh how much (laughs) curious how much your life has changed since then but how's things going it's going good man everything is um going really really well got uh so much freedom and that is that's freaking awesome pretty much go and do as i please heck yeah Well, uh, for those who don't know, which I can't believe there's too many out there that probably don't, tell everybody a little bit about yourself and that type of stuff. All right. <laughs> um, well, I basically just a country boy. Grew up in the panhandle of Florida back when that was a, a rural part. It's uh, pretty much getting swallowed up by Pensacola and the, all the other development down there nowadays. But um, when I was a kid, I mean, there was swamps and pine woods and uh, it's just i grew up in a catching catfish on the river in a john boat and running around chasing quail through the woods with a bb gun doing all the other fun stuff that's getting hard to come by these days and uh just kind of always dreamed about being out west being in the mountains and uh, started looking for a way to make that happen um went to uh went to college and got ended up getting a master's degree in wildlife ecology and became a wildlife biologist and that took me to idaho which is where i am now been out here since 2007 i think um that whole time i was uh super into uh, traditional archery and bow making and kind of wilderness skills survival type stuff um and just kind of never grew out of that um, and eventually figured out a way to make that what I do for a living, uh, which has been awesome. And that led to, um, me being on a TV show called alone. Um, and by some miracle, I ended up being the last one out there and, and winning that thing. Um, and that really, you know, I'd, uh, I'd started a YouTube channel several, quite a few years before that and started building an audience. But, um, you know, when that show hit, uh, Netflix, that really blew the channel up and, and, um, you know, has, has led to a lot of other things, but, uh, I was already working. I'd left, I'd quit my job at fishing game. and was already doing YouTube full time before that, you know, ever, ever took place. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's been pretty amazing. I've mentioned the freedom before, uh, but I think we have a level of freedom that that's, uh, very, very, very few people ever get to experience. And that's just, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I, uh, on the alone portion of that, I, I would say, especially people that have asked me um, what was like made you maybe more special or different, I, w- I would say in your case, you can't get fat. You did not have the advantage of of some of the contestants of uh, kind of just laying there and starving themselves to, to death. You didn't have a lot to lose. Uh, did you try to gain some weight? Because you were pretty skinny when you went on. I'm like, he's he's. If he's fat, I can't see it. You you couldn't have gained too much. It didn't seem like. Well, I, I gained a lot for me. Um, right now, like sitting here right now, I'm 152 pounds. Um, and I went in at 180, uh, and ended up getting down to about 140. So it was, um, 
that was way, way, way bigger than I've ever been before in my life. Like I think before previous to that, I think the most I've ever weighed is 165. <laughs> were you getting winded pretty easy? And could you tell? I mean, were you feeling it? Not really, because I was I was also careful to maintain my fitness. Like I was hiking every day with a pack on and just trying to I didn't want to be like out of shape, you know. Um yeah. so it really didn't affect me that much. Other I just Man, when I, a couple of days before we they put us out there, and I took my shirt off, and I was like, had freaking jelly rolls <laughs> around my my midsection. I was like, good grief, man! I, I've never seen that before. Mm, that's funny. So, before you know, before we start talking about alone, you pretty cool life before you got on there. You and I, I can't say we met this way, but this just in the last couple of weeks has been brought up. Um, I think it was you flicking me shit about I you could beat me shooting 3ds if I had my compound but you had to set up the shots this is when I was looking at getting into a stick bow um yeah and I'm because I remember like the because the, when I got the stick bow it was basically which ended up all being true of people saying you're using technology to your advantage and you you, you know you'd never do well with a stick and I picked up the stick for that reason and all of that was very true quickly I quickly realized that I am not that good at getting close. Son of a bitch. This is way harder. I had to like re-evolve, right? But you were doing it with a self bow, but I think that's how you and I first started to kind of interact a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. We actually first met at the BHA rendezvous back in 2013, just briefly. I had a film that debuted there <clears throat> and the, you were there with Kafaru. Um, but yeah, once you started getting into the uh, into the stick bow thing, that we started talking a little bit more. Had several good conversations over the phone, but that was uh, I had to I eat a little that. crow there. That's for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it's just diff it's different because I shoot both. Well, I, sh I I shot a compound last year. Um, but like a lot of the things that you had said, I mean, and others as well, is is very true. And you do some people are different it's more rewarding for me personally to take an animal with a primitive weapon in my, I'm not nearly as primitive as you. I just had a recurve, but talk a little bit about the self bow, you know, you getting it, you know, you, you've never really messed around with too much of the compounds at all. Have you? I mean, you, you pretty, I mean, it's kind of been your, your thing. Yeah. I mean, so I didn't grow up in a hunting family. My my dad doesn't hunt. My brother, I have two brothers and they've hunted a little bit, but they don't, they're not hunters. You know, they didn't stick with it. Um, and so I didn't have a lot of like close influence on how I got into hunting and, and the, the routes that I took. Um, and so when I first started bow hunting, I actually had a recurve. My brother had found an old Ben Pearson, uh, at a yard sale or something and brought it home to me because he, he knew I liked that type of stuff. And I'd chase rabbits around. I was probably, I don't know, 12, 13, something like that at that time. But I didn't know, you know, that was before YouTube and Google and like that was during the AOL, you know, dial up days. You weren't um, hitting much and, back then. You didn't have a lot of help. <laughs> no, no, I didn't have any help. Didn't have any guidance. Um, and so I, I didn't, and I didn't know anybody that shot recurves, everybody, you know, all my brother's friends that hunted, um, and all my friends that hunted had, had compounds. And so when I started deer hunting, I bought a compound, it was an old bear Jennings or something like that. Um, 
and I started deer hunting with that. And I think I hunted with that for a couple, two, three years before I got into actually building my own bows. Um, and then once I got into building self bows, I sold the compound and I've been do I've been hunting with those things ever since. I think that was around 1999 or 98, somewhere in there. Um, but you'd mentioned the, how rewarding it is. I think anytime you do anything that requires more effort on your part, the, when you finally achieve whatever it is you're after, I don't care what it is, you know, if it's climbing a mountain or trying to kill an animal or whatever, you're going to get more out of it. You know, that you get more out the more you put in regardless of what it is. Yeah. Well, I learned real quick. You had to put a lot more effort into it. Tom Clum, who was a big, you know, help for, for me and, and you and many others as well. But Tom, obviously living by me, they have always been very supportive of me, even when I was shooting a compound. Right. So we'd be talking and I can't remember, I shot an elk at some far distance that, that, uh, Tom was like, how the hell do you even, I mean, I don't even get shots like that. And I, you know, at that time I'm like, you know, not really thinking about, okay, well, I've my whole life have been able to shoot a compound relatively well in certain situations or setups that I'll set up for a little more distance away from the animal because I can. And Tom was like, how the hell do you even shoot an elk at 94 yards? I don't even look at them, you know, or what, you know what I mean? Just joking back and forth. And then, you know, fast forward, like, you know, cause these guys, like I was, this was, as you know, engulfed in it. Like I was immersed as deep as I could get. And, and I, I don't like, I don't want to say losing. I don't like failing and I don't like not being, I, I treat everything when I get into it. I want to be as proficient and in depth into it as I possibly can be. Maybe not as in depth as you. I still haven't whittled out my own bow, but, um, the one thing I was like, okay, I'm going to have to reassess my, my hunting situation, like my skill set, because before 40 yards, I'm good, right? Let's kill it. Well, then I realized yeah. like, even though I could shoot 40, most of the, the trad kills were yeah, sub 15, sub 20 for sure of that. The, the hunt really hasn't it, where it ends with a compound. And people say this all the time. It's kind of cliche. It begins with a recurve, but that is the truest statement that, that I could possibly say. And I learned that real quick first, like noisy pants, you know, things rubbing, I mean, just being stealthy to where, you know, you're sub 18 yards and I go, well, that deer blew out right where at 50, I fart like it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It, when you, <clears throat> when you start thinking about, you have to get within, you know, whatever your distance is 40 yards or for me, it's 30, like for an elk, um, 30 yards and under, um, it definitely changes the way that you hunt, the way that you think about hunting and think about setting up your situations. I mean, like this year, I mean, I had, I don't know, every year that I hunt elk, I have multiple elk that are within, you know, 60, 70 yards, um, that if I had been shooting the compound, you know, I'd can't say that I'd kill that elk, but I'd have a pretty dang good opportunity to. And that's just, I have no opportunity with the, you know, the equipment that I'm hunting with. <clears throat> and so, you know, you're looking for, for opportunities to get that elk, like, basically in your lap um and it does it changes the way you think about things it changes the way that you think about your gear you talk about making noise you know the the um the clothing that you wear the packs i mean everything it's got to be dead freaking silent 
because, you know, you're out on a late season whitetail hunt and there's no wind and you get a deer within 10 or 15 yards. I mean, if you make any noise at all, they're going to, you're going to alert that deer and they're going to be, your opportunity is going to be gone. So it's very, very, very different. Yeah. And, and I, I, um, yes, as time had went on, um, you know, I'd be like, I got this figured out and then something catastrophically horrible would happen. And I'm like, all right, well, I got, got to go back to the drawing board. That, that didn't work. I remember, I remember, I don't know. I don't remember where, but I, I heard you talking about you missing a buck. I think it was down in Alabama. Um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you'd missed a deer down there, a, a, a good buck, but he was alert or looking at you or something. What, what, what happened there? What was, what was the deal? It, so I, I, you know, had missed multiple, um, what had happened and, and I don't know which exact, which story you're, you're referring to, but one of the most devastating for me learning and just, I'd wounded an animal, you know, I don't miss or wound like a miss is a lot easier than a wound for me right i mean it's yeah. just you know they didn't hurt the animal well this animal it lived but a buck came in and i alerted it and meh, and i had the skill set at that distance to shoot it walking it was nine yards away and it wasn't at a, a clip right it was it was and i i alerted it and it rocketed out and i hit a i hit its leg and you know, learning, right? I mean, I was like, yeah. why did I even stop it? Like, you know, and, and, and I did miss a giant buck in Alabama and it was alert. And I probably, I mean, it looked good when the about 10 yards in front of me and at 18, it was two feet over its back as its belly hit the ground dropping. But one of those stories is probably what you're talking about. Yeah. <clears throat> so like when I heard that, you know, we were talking, we were just talking about the differences between compound and, and, and trad you know, when you went, when you switched to traditional, you had a, there was a learning curve there. Not, it's not, and it's not just about shooting the bow. It's about setting those situations up and what you can get away with and what you can't. And, um, like you learned that you should have shot that deer walking. I mean, I just shot a doe and it's, uh, I just shot a doe this year and it's really cool to watch the video. Cause you can see exactly where my arrow goes and you can see where the deer is. And I shot her walking. You can see the deer where the deer is when I release, and you can see like the deer and the arrow merge. And to make that shot, it was probably a 12 yard shot, 15 yards maybe. But to make that shot, I was aiming mm, maybe four inches in front of the point of her shoulder. And so that's a good what eight, eight, ten inches in front of where my where I wanted to hit on that deer. But she and she still, even even though she was she had no idea I was there, she was not alert, completely um, calm, and she still dropped probably six inches, you know. Um, and like I don't, I mean I don't ever try to stop a critter with a stick bow, and if they're looking at you, man. Should have talked to you earlier then. <laughs> <laughs> it's like if they're looking at you, I don't care if they're two feet from you. Just you might as well just not even shoot because they're not going to be there. They're not going to be where they are when when that arrow gets there. I mean, they are just so fast. I mean, I shot a I shot at a buck. This was I don't know. I was probably twenty years old, 
So I'd been hunting with a <clears throat> self bow for, I don't know, a couple of years. And, uh, I was on the ground in Alabama, had a little buck come over a hill and he probably wasn't 10 feet from me. And he came over the hill and he, when he came over the hill, he saw me he was looking at me, but he was standing right there broadside. And I, I was already drawn and I released and that deer was completely like he would had turned around 180 degrees and was absolutely gone by the time I, I don't even think my arrow cleared the bow. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> I mean, the reaction time on those things is just unbelievable. Yeah. One of the things that you brought up that I think is worth is noteworthy in, and it's different for each person is the shooting. Certainly I would say came a lot faster for me. And that part was not a problem. I have a range at my house. I'm very blessed with that. I had the clums. And, and as I say that, it still took time. But what really I had to understand, I had to come to the realization that I may have to sit in one spot for five to seven hours or two to three hours or, you know, go an extra half mile to a mile up a hill for a stock or, you know, you pick it, whatever. And, and then how I stalked was totally different. I've never stalked in bare feet in my life or even thought about taking off my boots with a compound. I was half naked a lot with a stick bow. And when I say that, I've been in my underwear. I've had socks tucked in. I mean, anything you could possibly imagine. A lot of times I drop my vinyl harness because they're all loud to a certain yeah. degree. I drop my vinyl harness with my boots because it's like, well, you know, and I'd use a rangefinder sometimes because I, I do kind of a point on method. I drop everything and be like, well, this is going to be the first mule deer I shot was at five feet. And when I drew, my arrow was between its horns when I drew back. Um, and that was probably the biggest turning point for me because I was struggling on elk, uh, which I normally don't struggle on. Same thing exactly you just said. I had a lot of elk I could have killed for the compound, but I couldn't, I couldn't get, I did end up shooting one, you know, that season, but I literally was like the cone of shame. I, I fucked up. Right. That like, maybe I can't do it. Right. Like, you know, I had killed a few things, right. A turkey, a couple turkeys and a bear. And I don't know, but I literally was like in the, in its infancy of this. And I went to go hunt mule deer during elk season. And I went on this crazy stock. I stalked the wrong rock a couple of times. I ended up having to lay down quite a while. There was does around waiting for him to move. So I didn't blow the deer out that was bedded. And finally, when I saw the tips of its antlers, I'm like, I mean, and I say tips, like we're talking like the top three inches, what you want to see. <clears throat> well, I'm like, all right, I threw a couple rocks and it didn't move. There was a wind. And then never in my life ever with a compound would I do this. And again, this was a turning point. I'm like, I'll just shoot it. I'll just get on that rock and kill it. Like I would have never thought about doing that ever with a compound. I would have hung back at 40 yards and just waited for it to stand up. <clears throat> well, from where I was at, potential wind shifting. When I threw those rocks and it didn't move, I'm like literally telling myself, you can do this. Don't do anything stupid. Take your time. Because I, I remember in my mind over and over saying, it does not do anything different than it normally does in its day unless you screw that up. Like it will lay there. So every time there's a gust of wind, I took a step, took a step, took a step, probably took 30 minutes to get on that rock, stood on top of the rock, and I'm literally shit running down both legs deer is four to five feet from me and i was worried about my shadow 
coming over and it thinking it was a mountain lion. And so I had, it was, I was cognizant of all this going on, but as I had waited so long, the sun had moved and helped. So then now the deer is literally less than my body length from me and I am shitting my pants. I'm like, okay, just keep it together, dude. Like you, you can screw this up too. I got the full draw. And literally I remember when I, I had to bring my arms up to draw because the arrow was so close to its head. Anyway, I ended up killing the deer and that was probably the biggest turning point of, okay, I need to reassess what I'm doing and I need to work on getting closer and two, I can do this. Like it's doable. Um, there was a lot of other problems in there and I was very open about, you know, I could have definitely took a lot less heat if I would have just shut up, but I, this is not in my nature. Right. So I kind of just told everything how it was at my, in my mind at that time. And then as I screwed that up, like, well, I was, I, I was fucking wrong. And then I would shift a lot of those conversations you and I would have were during <laughs> some of those shifting moments of, of my career with traditional archery. So. Well, that's uh, I love that story about the, the mule deer. I mean, <clears throat> one of the great things about the stick bow is if you had not had that bow in your hand you wouldn't have that experience and i would imagine that's probably one of your best hunting experiences um that you'll probably ever have and it's uh it's because you had that that bow in your hand and you had limited yourself in that way and it forced you to get outside of your comfort zone and do something like that and and that's the result just an amazing experience like that i mean to be that close that's an accomplishment just in itself, I mean, getting that close to a, a, a wild, free range mule deer like that is freaking awesome. Yeah, I mean, that was a public land, 100% draw unit, you know, so it wasn't like, you know, something that, I mean, I, I wasn't, they weren't tame deer running around or whatever. Um, the, the thing was, is like, as far as the humble pie and eating crow, I can't tell you how many times I would, I would think of something you had said, or Tom had said, or I'd pick it. Right. And, you know, depending upon how you are, how your brain works for me, as I'm walking back, especially after I screw up, I'm thinking the entire time about what I should have done. What, what did I do anything wrong or, and sometimes you have to take a victory with a stick bow specifically is maybe you didn't get the shot but you got sub 10 yards, you still beat it at its game. Like you did good. I mean, you know what I mean? Like you may not have got the shot, but if you got sub 10, you got into its wheelhouse, you were in its living room, you, you did pretty good. And then take that as a victory. Otherwise you might stab yourself in the eyeball. Cause there are some, some lows, uh, highs and lows for sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's what I tell people when they, when they first get into it, especially, I mean, uh, I was just talking to a kid, um, earlier this year that was having a tough season he just can't you know he, he he has a bunch of friends that hunt with compound and they're all killing stuff and he's just not and i was like man are you having a good time like um are you having a good experience uh and you know if you can do that if you can hunt and have a good time and and have a good experience then you know how could you want anything more um you're not gonna probably unless you're you you're probably not going to kill as much stuff. Um, but, uh, when you do connect, when you, when things do come together, it's, you got to put in a lot more work to make it happen, you know? And it's just like we were saying earlier, it's just so much more rewarding. Yeah. And I don't, whatever. I, 
try to make people understand one of the biggest I had of, you know, I had Tom and that crew, uh, the guys from three rivers, they're super cool to me. Um, Dean has always been a great dude to me. I had a lot of things in my corner. I had time off and I have, I'm too stupid to stop. And, and a couple of my close friends that love to give me shit, Ryan Rotier and Scotty Campbell, we, we both, uh, outfit and guide together and whatever. And, and people of course would show up to camp when I wasn't there and asked them questions and some of the, you know, basically like just, I just fling an arrow and arrow in the air and it would land in an animal, like no matter what happened. And both of them were very good about humble, you know, handing out. So like, Oh, he misses like, Oh, he blows out animals, but he's too stupid to stop. Like that is one thing of short-term memory and just having that willingness to keep, keep going and not, not stopping. And whether that's a good or bad thing, cause that has cost me, probably three marriages of not stopping is like you have to have that dedication to not just in shooting or hunting anything in life the more effort you put into something eventually it's gonna pan out it's just there was a few times i did i had i mean i there was times where i literally i hunted 14 days straight for mule deer and didn't kill one went back for a day and hiked nine miles back in dude there was times where i'm like what am i doing like what what did I get anything out of this? Right. You know what I mean? Like, was this even fun? And then again, then I went back in and got one and that's probably the most favorite hunt I've ever been on. That had never happened with a compound and and trying to convey that in words is difficult at some time. Yeah. It's not something, I mean, you can talk about it till you're blue in the face, but <clears throat> until you experience it, um, it just doesn't, I don't think it can register with somebody, you know, but I, you talking about the, the, the not quitting. I mean, I think that's, I, I don't know. Heard it on some movie somewhere. It was uh, persistence is a superpower, or perseverance is a superpower, or something like that. Like I, I like that. Yeah, my my my. I think Batman. I was I don't know watching the Avengers and the guy whatever not Avengers the whatever the Marvel and no whatever I don't pay enough attention. But they were <laughs> like, hey, what's your superpower? And uh, Batman goes, uh, I'm a billionaire. <laughs> kind of the same thing, right? If you're too stupid to stop that's a hell of a superpower, right? I mean, if you, if, and I could say that in the sense of like, you know, like don't stop bettering yourself shooting. Cause there was a lot of times I went first, I shot instinctive and then I like tried the string walking, which was not for me. And then just cause of my compound brain and my hand eye coordination gap shooting was easier. And then I, you know, of course there's always the, whatever the, how do you put it? I'm trying to be as nice as I can that's not traditional archery. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I've read quite a bit in history where people aimed. Yeah. I mean, people aimed back in the day, you know, so it was one of those things I had to constantly reassess. I was really working on farther shots in the beginning. And I don't know if you remember this, but I didn't even shoot under 30 yards forever, 30 to 50, 30 to 40, 30 to 50. Well, lo and behold, I rolled up on a mule deer at 16 yards and literally looked back to try to back up because I was like, I didn't plan on this. And so then I went home and I was putting bedded deer up between eight and 12, 14 yards. Cause I'm like, dude, you're a moron. Like I, I hadn't hardly shot 20. And so again, I'm sure that sounds stupid to listeners, but when you're used to shooting a compound and you think all your shots are going to be far, you're going to practice shooting more farther away. Well, then I got, I went and shot till my fingers fell off and got real good at shooting close up, like really close up. And, and people are like, 
you really need to practice eight yard shots. Yeah, you can miss them. I promise I've done it. It can happen. Yeah, yeah definitely. I think we all have if you've hunted for long <laughs> enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, what, um, what, you know, with anybody getting into traditional archery, uh, <clears throat> you know, and then obviously building your own bow, where are some places they can find you uh, and, you know, some of your info? Because I know you got a bunch of videos out there. Um, well, my YouTube channel is probably the best place to find, uh, instructional stuff. I got a bunch of videos on there about how to build a bow. I've got a, and then I've got a playlist on there about shooting and tuning traditional stuff. I shoot, uh, I shoot a self bow, but I shoot it just the way that you would shoot, you know, your recurve. And so all of that stuff is applicable. Um, and it, and crosses over from, you know, more modern traditional stuff to the stuff that I shoot. Um, and then as far as bow building, I've got the, I've got a book that you can get on my website. And then I think three rivers has, uh, carries it as well. Um, and then I've got a Patreon site that's got more like more in-depth stuff about bow building, not so much, uh, traditional archery, but more geared towards like go cut down a tree and knock out a bow and then go shoot something with it. <clears throat> yeah. I haven't got to that level yet. I don't, I don't know that that's in me. I also don't like to tie flies. So I, I, <clears throat> It's cool, uh, but it, uh, definitely. if you've got, if you've got the opportunity, like, um, you know, it might not be something you'd be interested in for like, a a coveted hunt or something like that. But if you've got a place to go shoot hogs, I, I don't know. I, I think you could get into, it. I mean, going and you, you could build a boat a couple of days and go stick a pig with it. That's, that, that's pretty cool. I give it a whirl. I have to wait till it warms up. Cause right now, uh, it's pretty cold. <laughs> I mean, well, I definitely yeah. have to read your books. I wouldn't even know what tree to cut down. Nothing's fun right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So as far as advice for guys getting into traditional archery, obviously above and beyond what we've talked about so far, I mean, what would you, what would you give somebody re- listening to this? I'd say if, uh, if it's something you're interested in, just go find a cheap bow somewhere and start flinging arrows. I mean, people get, people get, hung up on um having to have every like have everything just perfect to start with um and i would just say find a bow that that is comfortable for you to shoot something that you can handle easily um don't overbow yourself don't get something you know if you're if you're moving from compound and you shoot a i don't know what's what's a common weight for a dude to shoot in a compound 70 80 65 to 70 yeah 65 to 70 let's say you're shooting a a 70 pound compound um, and you move to traditional archery. Well, a 50 pound recurve might be too much for you because you're, you're going to be using different muscles probably to, to draw that bow. And so, you know, you need to something, you need to find something that you can draw and hold at full draw comfortably while you work on your shooting form and all that stuff. Um, get that form dialed in, get to where you're comfortable shooting. And then you can think about bumping that bow weight up. But I mean, heck for whitetails, which is what probably most people are going to be hunting. I mean, a 45 pound bow is plenty. I mean, you can shoot right through a, a whitetail with a 45 pound bow. No problem. Yeah. Yeah. I would say adding a little bit to that, the, the overbowed and then make sure you get, um, if you can a bow that's applicable the length of the bow that's applicable to your your draw length um you can get finger pinch and things like that yeah. but i definitely 
you know, there's a lot of used bows out there. There's a lot of less expensive. A Samic Sage is, I don't know, a hundred and what, 59, 89 bucks or something. And you can swap the limbs out on those and every, you know, there's a lot to get into it. The, the biggest thing, that, like you said, flinging it, get out there and try and have fun. If you get too wrapped up into it, it can become not fun. And the simplicity of it, if I put a compound together, um, the way that I put a compound together, it's going to be a while, right? I mean, I'm, I've got a minimum of four hours to get it to perfection. And then the other day, um, I had uh, Toby sent me a, a black widow and, uh, you know, threw the string silencers on and tied a nail knot. And I don't know, 15 minutes, I was ready to rock and roll and, you know, get, get going. And then I, I was like, I wonder if I can hit anything, right? So I got a 3D course at my house. So then it was, I'm not taking anything away from a compound. I love shooting archery every bow, but winging arrows is a lot funner with a stick if you're not overly concerned about hitting quarters at 40 yards, right? Because then I'm like, okay, I'm like just walking in circles, flinging arrows at every direction at the different 3D targets. And you can stump shoot a lot easier. People think it's weird. Stump shooting is literally right real close to sex, right? It is one of the funnest things you can do. And you cannot stump shoot with a compound. But I can just walk around in my back canyon and picking whether it's scrub brush or pine cones or whatever else, and really work on hunting situations where with a compound, it's a lot more static environment. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the, one of the things I love about, uh, about the stick bow, you throw on a judo or a heck pit or something like that. And I, I mean, even when I'm hunting, like if I'm not, if I'm in an area where I'm not expecting to see an elk or a deer or something like that, I'm constantly shooting at stuff and you don't know what, like, I don't use a range finder or, um, I don't, like actively judge distance. Like I don't say, Oh, that's 27 yards or whatever. I just kind of, I know what my sight picture looks like at those various distances and that, and and that stump shooting constantly shooting at clumps of grass or, you know, rotted logs or stuff like that. It just keeps that honed. Um, it's a great way to do that. The good cure for boredom midday. Cause I can tell you, especially elk and mule deer hunting in the high country at it, it midday you know what you know whatever winds changed or you know it 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 hones your skills but it also kills some time you can only sleep so much right so um whether you know you got your water or whatever else i mean one of the biggest things for me like it you know because we i'm usually backpacking in like you said judo tip i'll just sit there for just 20 30 minutes and make sure everything's on walk around swinging arrows and then also you have the beauty of small game with whatever's open um it's you know nothing wrong with bringing back a grouse and having it for dinner that's always nice or cooking it on the mountainside mid midday um i i uh my small game hunting went up about ten thousand percent when i picked up the recurve because one i knew i'd get my arrow back um you know but in two it's less um um tom clumps told me this he's many many times he said i guarantee you will kill animals on your second or third arrow and i was like what he was like oh they don't they don't it's not the same as a compound they don't hang out when you shoot them out with, with a compound they hear the bow go off or whatever i can tell you a few times whitetail hunting as embarrassing this is it may have been my fifth arrow before i hit <laughs> it but i uh when i was figuring things out but you get it's less on it's not as obtrusive it's 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 uh no, nobody <clears throat> hears the bow go off yeah and uh you you'd mentioned grouse i mean you 
you have a stick bow in your hand, you don't walk by a grouse. Like you go to stalk <laughs> mode. <laughs> yeah, all the other hunts have stopped. <laughs> it's grouse time. Grouse yeah, but well, let's shift off of that. Let's talk about uh, alone a little bit. So, what? Uh, I guess what you know, you you ended up winning the season. Um, I I figured something was going on because you obviously went dark for a while, but I wasn't sure what the hell exactly. So obviously, you know, when you got back and were able to tell everyone, you, I was super cool. So like obviously, I was already watching the show. Uh, you crushed it. You did pretty damn good, and you shot a deer. But the talk about, you know, when you first like, okay, I'm going, and then when you got there, of like, oh fuck, like. Did you bite off more than you could chew? Did you get like, holy shit, or like to talk about that whole experience? Well, it was, uh, I was actually, uh, when, when I was going through the casting process, I got kind of got a little bit of a kick in the balls. Cause I, I was actually cast as a, an alternate. And I was like, when they, when, uh, when they offered that to me, I was like, you gotta be freaking kidding me. Uh, I'm an alternate. What? <laughs> it's like I don't even know if I'm gonna go. And I was, uh, so I was like, "All right, man. Well, I mean, it's it's still an opportunity." And I thought about it. I was like, "Man, I don't know if I wanna. I don't know if I wanna do this because it was a it was a month of me be. It was a minimum. We had to go to Canada, do the cold quarantine thing, and then a ten day orientation. Blah blah blah. So it was almost a month of me being like away from home, and I didn't even know if I was gonna be able to go into the field um and so i considered not even going but then i thought well i mean shit it's it's still an opportunity there's a chance that i can go in um and so when i made that decision to accept it i was like all right i'm gonna be the best freaking alternate they've ever had like i'm i'm gonna treat this like it's my job <clears throat> um and i actually didn't know that i was going in until two days before launch they finally said, oh, well, you're the one. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. um, so it was a bit of a, uh, you know, I didn't know what was going on there for a long time. But luckily, I had the whole time I treated it like I was going in because I, the last thing I wanted was to, you know, go in and, and be unprepared, you know. Um, but I remember the the evening before launch was like man, I had some serious butterflies in the stomach. Like, you know, like you're going into the, a big time competition, whatever, a lot, lot on the line type thing. Um, if you've ever been in um, competitive sports or anything like that, I'm sure you've experienced it. Um, but once, once I got on the ground, man, it was like, I was kind of at home. Um, it was a little bit surreal just cause I'd watched it on TV and, you know, and, and now I was the guy that was, that I had been watching, you know, I was, I was the guy in that situation, but as far as like being dropped off and like being in shock or whatever, that never happened to me. Um, I was just, when they, when they dropped me off and, and, and left, I felt like I was just on a hunting trip and I treated it that way. Gotcha. Yeah. And I mean, I guess that obviously spending like for me, like a bunch of time, in uh nwt or bc or whatever you know when the bush plane leaves or whatever you're 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 there not nearly the same as what obviously you had to do but you you're kind of stuck there especially if a storm comes in or something so you gotta 
you know, the wilderness living kind of comes into play a little bit at certain times when you're when you're out there and you got what you got. You just had a lot less than all the other normal people. So when uh, when you hit the ground, when uh, was there a time through that where you were like, all right, I'm doing good. Like I got a chance or did you just focus on just crush it, do your best and it'll pan out? Yeah, I never had a. Well, I mean, when I got the deer, I was like, all right, I'm set. <laughs> but but even then, like. um you know, whatever, I, I probably got 50 pounds of meat off that deer. Um, like I could eat a whole deer in two weeks, you know, if I, if that's all you yeah, have to eat. I was thinking eat. of that one. When, when I saw you kill the deer, I was like, I am a fatty and I would really have to ration that out. Cause I bet I could eat half of that in a day if I wasn't careful. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I really had to really had to ration it pretty hard, um, to make it last as long as I thought that I was going to be out there. Um, but as far as like uh, a time when I thought, all right, I got this. And I mean, other than that one moment when I saw that deer laying in the grass, I, I, I didn't really experience that. I mean, it was a, even after that, <clears throat> um, you know, it was a, it was still a struggle because it's like, especially later, you know, after I'd ra been rationing the deer for a pretty good while, I like, I'd, I wasn't catching any fish or anything like that. And, um, you're freaking hungry, like more hungry than you've ever been before. And you're having to, 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 to ration. I mean, you're having to walk around food every day and not <laughs> eat it. And that's, that sucks, but doesn't suck as bad as not having it. Yeah. And, well, and I, I, so my, my, my wife and I watch and, uh, you know, of course, hopefully she doesn't listen to this. Maybe she will. Everyone backseat quarterbacks, the ones that don't, talk have probably been in the situation before maybe you know, or maybe don't backseat quarterback as much because you know I brought up to her I was like when's the last time you were alone for 24 hours he's like I'm alone all the time and I'm like no 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 phone no no contact no tv just what you know and I was trying to explain to her and then talking about water food and sleep deprivation so those things can really fuck with your mind bad and when you're having a sad day and you only slept three hours because the wind was blowing all night or whatever i would imagine like you get some pretty sad days where you got to kind of have gut checks did you did you have any of those where like there was one day where you're like get back in the game clay like i gotta get mentally into this where you had down days or were you pretty good oh no yeah um there was definitely some downtime some some down <laughs> periods of time I wouldn't even say moments because they stretched out for it pretty good, but I never had, I never had a time when I thought about quitting or tapping out. I mean, that's just not, I think, I think maybe that's something that we share is just, uh, I, before I ever went in there, I'm, I had decided that I was not going to hit the button. Um, I, there was only two ways that I was going to leave. Either I was going to be the last one or they were going to, medically pull me uh, medically tap me out um and so that wasn't like i had that in my head like that wasn't even an option like that for me that button didn't exist um but as like far baltimore, as like you just didn't talk about it just didn't talk about it <laughs> um <laughs> it's like baltimore <laughs> absolutely but as far as like down um i mean i i i had a period of time 
Um, I can't remember exactly what it was. It was somewhere around day 50 to 60 or something like that, where I just got flat out depressed. Um, I was hungry. The weather was shit. Um, you know, the, the days were getting really short. Um, there were several time periods where, you know, we had a, like a blizzard come through, um, and I was stuck in my shelter for days at a time. And it was like the, the, the tarp that they gave us was dark green. So it was like, I was living in a, basically a hole, uh, a dark hole. Um, you know, so you're, you're half starved, you're living in the dark. Uh, you hadn't seen your family for months. Um, and you don't know how much longer you're going to be out there. You know, all that, all that stuff kind of just rolled in together and started weighing on me. And I, I got into a funk and started just feeling sorry for myself, complaining about everything, you know, not having enough food and the weather sucks and all this shit that I couldn't, <laughs> uh, you know, couldn't do anything couldn't about anyway. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Um, and you know, and I, I tell this to everybody, it's like, I think, I think everyone would benefit from doing something like that, from going out and just freaking suffering. And, um, because it's, it, it, it teaches you about yourself. It, uh, it cuts away a lot of the, I guess the facade that, that, that we kind of put out for everybody else. There's nobody else out there to, to, to put a show on for. And so you're left with yourself and you can turn inwards and learn about a lot about yourself in that way. Um, but I, I went through this period of this funk and I, I, uh, the thing that brought me out of it is I was laying in my bed one day, uh, one morning and I, the, the night before we'd had some crappy weather and I'd stayed in my shelter all day and I was just, you know, doing the whole complaining and feeling sorry for me, for myself. And I was talking to the camera about all this stuff and it was recording all this stuff, me being a, you know, and, um, the next morning I was laying in my bunk and I thought about my two boys watching that on TV and, and beha- like, you know, complaining about shit that I couldn't help. And the thought of how they would see me gave me a perspective that I didn't have during that time. And it brought me out of it, like, just like that. And I thought, you know what, screw that. Like I, this is the last thing that I want them to see. And all of this is getting recorded and it might make it on the show. And and I don't want, I don't want them to see it. And so I stopped right there. And, uh, that was something that was one of those lessons, those life lessons that I learned out there that I probably wouldn't have been able to learn without being out there and going through all that and suffering. Um, and the lesson boils down to perspective. I, throughout that 10 day period, I had suffered because of the way that I was seeing my situation. I saw all the days as just days that I had to grind through and suffer through, um, and after that, I started seeing those days as opportunities to, uh, sh- provide a good example for my kids to, you know, uh, make a good show to do all of these things. And so nothing about my situation changed, you know, the weather still sucked. I just, I still didn't have enough to eat, blah, blah, blah. But I, I didn't suffer anymore after that because of my, that, just that shift in that perspective. <laughs>
Yeah, that's actually kind of heartwarming, not to be weird. That's a cool story, um, you know, especially the perspective, you know, part of things. And and it's weird on perspective. And, and obviously, you know, I didn't go through what you went through, but even on like a lot of people pull out a backpack hunts early and then they get to the truck and they want to go back in. And it's a six hour difference of what it took them to get to the truck and they're driving home and they went, they pulled out early like, man, and they're missing what they were just doing. But when they were doing what they're, what they're now missing, they were complaining about it. Um, I probably did a horrible job explaining that, you know, perspective. And, and, and honestly, I, I learned that a long time ago in the sense on the, on those, cause one of the reasons I could stay on the mountain so long is I had pulled out once early, a long time ago. And the entire time when I got back, I couldn't wait to go back in. And I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with me? I was just there. I, I left early. And now I want, and so that I always remembered that. And obviously your situation way different, but whether you had a miss or you blew a stock or weather was bad or whatever, that, well, when I get home, I'm going to want to be back out here. So I might as well stay because you're going to look back and regret the, you know, potentially anyway, regret that decision. Um, and I try to tell people that they're getting ready to go on a backpack hunt as far as trying to keep them on the mountain of like, hey, I promise you, you leave early. You're going to wish you didn't. And most most people are like that or that I've talked to anyway. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, it's it can be when you're in that situation, it can sometimes be hard to kind of look at it from a different angle. But that's exactly what you got to do. I don't know. Maybe it just takes the experience of having been there and done that to to give you that perspective um, so that you can have it next time. Well, failing is definitely one of the best learning tools, I would say. Uh, you know, failing failing is something that's really good at helping you learn. And and anytime, you know, if I if I'm doing a class or whatever, that I, you know, when I when I tell people something, I'm like, hey. I'm not telling you this because I'm better than you. And I'm not telling you this because I knew it all from the beginning. I'm telling you this because I have screwed up everything humanly possible. And I just learned a lot during that, you know, time period. And perspective is definitely a, you know, a, a, a big one. I will say people say a bad day at hunting is better than a good day at work. I have found that to not be true. Um, I've had some pretty, pretty bad days hunting where I'm like, ah, the office would be a lot better, but you know, you, you're out there and, and with what, one of the, again, one of the things watching your, your season, you and Jordan both is you guys did keep a pretty positive attitude for perspective the whole time. And, uh, you know, it was one of the, both of you didn't really gain a ton of weight or you weren't, there's other contestants that were kind of girthy and you had a lot more to you know, to burn that, 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 that it goes without saying, but definitely needs to be noted going in that skinnier is a disadvantage in some ways. Cause you don't have as much fuel to burn. Yeah, absolutely. You don't have that, um, buffer, I guess. I mean, I was down to my normal weight within, I don't know, a couple, two, three weeks, I guess. And then after yeah. that, I was, you know, dipping into the um getting close to my red line i guess what <laughs> <laughs> so when you shot the deer where i can't remember you hit that did you hit that deer in the jugular it was in it was uh in front of the shoulder angling back into the body cavity so it was in between the neck and the shoulder but it was and it he was, didn't it was kind of a frontal yeah he didn't go far he only went 
I don't know, 50 to 70 yards maybe, but, but there was no blood, you know, cause it, the, the entry wound was a little bit high and then it went down. Uh, and so it was all, he bled out quickly, but it was all internal. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm a, I'm actually a fan of that shot close. I like that kind of quartering just a hair to frontal shot. Um, but when you on the video and I haven't watched, it's been obviously a year or so since I watched your season, when you shot, obviously with GoPro, you don't, you're not zoomed in. I couldn't tell where you, you hit, were you nervous at first? Well, there's, I didn't actually record, uh, shooting the deer. I had the only camera I had with me was a little crappy JVC camera. And I actually had it tucked into my, it was on a gorilla pod. I had one of the legs on the gorilla pod bent over and it was tucked into my belt behind me and so all that stuff that you see on the show is just like recreated stuff that i went and got except for right after i shot like immediately after i shot then i pulled the camera out and started recording like the actual events um but yeah i mean when i when i shot that deer i didn't know i couldn't really tell where i hit it very good um and so i just laid down and took a nap i probably laid down for an hour or so and then went over to where the deer was standing and then there was no blood. And I was like, what the freaking hell? Like I knew I hit the deer, but I could not find a hair. I couldn't find any blood. I couldn't find nothing. And so, um, uh, just started tracking, you know, based on tracks and, and other sign. And finally, I tracked it probably 50 yards and then finally found a little speck of blood on some grass. So I was like, all right. And he wasn't, but you know, probably 20, 30 yards beyond that. Were you shitting your pants at first, like worried you might not find it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, it, I definitely wasn't wasn't confident. I was like, yeah, you know, when I when I shot, I was like, nah, he, I didn't have that thought. Like, oh yeah, he's dead within twenty yards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, obviously, totally different perspective on it when you're out there and you're like, okay, this is a lot more important now than it ever has been. Because um, I'm always, unless I can just see. You know, whenever you have a shot you're not sure of, I, I don't go into like panic mode, but I definitely go into don't do anything stupid, hang back, mark where he was at, mark where you were at, like don't don't jack this up and or you know, and, and so how far were you from camp when you shot that? Too far to carry a deer without a pack. That's what I was <laughs> um I don't remember. I was a pretty good ways. I was well over a mile, um, mile and a half, maybe two miles. Um, and so, and you know, there's grizzlies freaking everywhere up there. And so, um, that was my biggest concern is getting that deer away from the, where, where the kill site was so that a freaking bear didn't take it. Um, but I had to basically just throw everything over my shoulder. I kind of, leapfrog the meat back to camp just like shuttled it in stages um eventually got it back by that evening and got it hung up in a tree <clears throat> yeah so were you um like at any time so like i would say because you how many days did you make it 70 something 74 74 so at at you had shot the deer on what day? I don't remember. It's like 20, 21, something like that. 
So yeah, fairly early. So on day 74, how much deer did you have left? Well, they say, that's one of the things like sometimes they'll take your footage and like manipulate the storyline or whatever to, to, to fall in with everything else, the story that they're trying to tell. And so they'll, they'll kind of fudge things a little bit, but, um, uh, that one of the things that they said was that I had ran out of deer and I didn't have any deer meat left, um, which is not true. I had, I still had a bag of dried deer meat, um, that was probably the size of a basketball. So I had a, I had a fair, I don't know how many pounds it was, but I had a fair bit of meat left, uh, when I took off on 74. Gotcha. So once you found out you won, so, cause your boys came, didn't they? No, it was during the COVID lockdown. So I didn't, Liz wasn't even able to come out there. Nobody was able to come except for the crew. Gotcha. I could not remember cause, um, my wife had asked me and I'm like, man, I think it was his kids. I, cu- I couldn't, I couldn't remember. So like, how quick could you call her? Did you call her right there? Well, they, that's, that's how they ended it is, um, they gave me a sat phone and I got to talk to Liz, uh, on the sat phone, which that was pretty emotional. Um, but yeah, that was, uh, if, if the, if the kids had been able to come out there, holy shit, <laughs> that'd have been awesome. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, so yeah, you, 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 you end up winning. How much has your life changed now afterwards? And I don't mean like changed in the sense of like how i know like obviously like your your youtube page is doing well and everything else but are you pretty much still just doing the same same old thing it's just you have less stress financially yeah i mean our life really hasn't changed at all i mean we were just we were doing the same thing um or we are doing the same thing that we were doing beforehand um we just don't we have no debt now Uh, we paid the house off and um so yeah, we're, we're completely debt free. And that goes into kind of rolls into, you know, some of that freedom that I was talking about earlier. I mean, what I do with, for a living is I can work. I mean, I do what I, I do whatever I want to do and then I make videos about it. People like to watch it. Um, but, and so I can work from anywhere as long as I have an internet connection, like once every couple of months to upload some videos. Um, so yeah, we're like, we, we spend a couple months a year in Florida and I hunt pigs down there and, uh, went over to Texas last year and hunted javelinas a little bit and we go fishing in the, the keys. And, um, I mean, shit, that's, that's pretty freaking awesome. Your gray hair, hair is turned back to Brown. <laughs> yeah it's uh i i don't know man my, my beard's starting to turn gray a little bit but uh, i think it's probably turning to gray at a, at a slower rate than it would would have yeah <laughs> yeah no kidding so uh are you see so, you know like i said the videos on youtube you've got a little bit of everything on there definitely doing a little bit more obviously more wilderness living um now than you maybe did but you know before um but are you like you know, with that, I guess, are you going to start doing any classes or anything? Do you do that now? Is that something you ever thought about? Well, I did, I did bow building classes for several years. Um, and that's one of the things that did change once, I, uh, once I got back from alone, I, I just quit the bow building classes. Um, cause we don't have to do them. You know, it was good money while I was doing it, but, um, you know, it took up, took up time and I just, 
would rather not do it. So I don't do it anymore. Um, but as far as like wilderness living, wilderness skills, survival skills type stuff, classes, I've, I've thought about it and it might be something that I do in the future, but I don't have any plans to do it right now. Um, I don't know. I'm uh, like, uh, I have an adversity to any kind of planning and that, that requires planning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I like to be able to just what? up and go whenever I want. <laughs> I, uh, you know, uh, the, the difference between like preppers, um, bushcraft and then, uh, you know, wilderness living, you know, that those kind of all bleed together on some things, some things they don't. And so, you know, m- my wife with watching alone and, you know, some of the different bushcrafting stuff, um, there was a, a video you did. It was 10 gear hacks, uh, maybe, yeah. and it has an astronomical amount of view. Right. And, uh, so <clears throat> if you've lived the life, like we've lived, you kind of know duct tape burns really good. Mm-hmm. And then I quickly realized 1.7 million people didn't fucking know that. I, I would literally was <laughs> like, oh, wow, holy, that video did way better than I thought it would. I was like, holy cow. And so when you're used to doing it, you probably take it maybe for granted because this morning, um, you know, I was talking with the, you know, the crew here and we were talking about y- your videos. Cause I said, Hey, you know, Clay's going to come on the podcast. And I was like, I can't believe how much this, uh, I mean, downloads this video guy and i was like man he's, he's you know his first thing was just like the the plastic and duct tape and they were like we don't know that you're 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 weird you do know that and i'm like all right point taken you know but if you've lived in the woods your whole life you you do know things that maybe you take for granted would you agree or disagree with that i mean there's just things that i think probably aren't that important that maybe i should talk more about because i just don't think they're as cool as maybe other people do I I couldn't agree more. Um, but the thing you got to realize is like we are the b- small, 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 small minority, you know, of people that are watching this stuff. Like, uh, um, I mean, most of the people that are watching this are 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 watching it and 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 dreaming about being out in the wilderness, being out in the woods. Um, and that's like for a lot of people, that's the only way that they can experience it. The, you know, um, and the thing that really opened my eyes to that is I had a fella has been five, six years ago, uh, come out, uh, on one of my hunts and, and, and carry a camera for me. And I never, I don't know why I even ex- invited him. Um, uh, cause I never do that before, or I never, I have never done that before, but he reached out, um, and he was born in San Francisco, I don't, I think it was San Francisco, born in San Francisco, grew up in San Francisco, never, you know, didn't have access to the outdoors really, other than parks and stuff where you can't, you know, it would be frowned upon to go chop a tree down. Um, and so he kind of just dreamed about this stuff and, uh, just being able to spend time with him ended up being a good thing, you know, having him out there. Cause it gave me that, again, it gave me that perspective, of someone like that because i have no idea what it's like to be in a city and live in an apartment and be surrounded by people and not have access to the woods but that's the majority of people that are out there is in that situation and so those are the people that are watching these things um 
and so I think there is a lot of stuff that we take for granted that we just don't even think about. But for someone like that, it's a it's a novel thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I'm, I'm finding that out for you know for sure. Just kind of yes, yeah. my wife's some someone that really always had wanted you know she was vegan basically when I had met her. Um, always wanted to go camping, and then <clears throat> now I've created a monster because she's shooting more shit than I am. She she loves hunting and she loves cooking, so wild game or whatever else. But like you know she you know and and i guide in in different places and i mean a few times guiding i can specifically remember turning back and been like your dad never slapped you in the fucking head as you were a kid did he like what i'm like you walk loud brother like you need to like let's talk about this because we're never going to kill anything i'm explaining to him how to walk quietly and he's like i never even thought about that and i'm like you know i didn't i don't you know i take it for granted that you know from it's a little kid and my dad did in fact knock me in the back of the head when i walked too loud or his friends did was like okay that's pretty important and something nobody thinks about when you walk into a mall or walking around is like just walking you know quietly and uh that was you know or even building a fire like you had said we're talking about that like you know i never really you know procuring dry wood well when you've done it like wiping your ass since you were a little kid you don't even think about it but then I've had people where I've taken them out and been like, all right, you guys go get some wood. And the only part of that wood that warmed them up was the physical activity of getting it. Cause I'm like, this shit won't burn for 10 years. It's all waterlogged and, and thinking, okay, well should have gave a little bit better instructions. Cause uh, I, I didn't even think about it, you know, of, of where to look or how to get it or, you know, whatever, or, or people even as much so as like packing in fairly, especially on a backpack hunt, saws and axes and things like that where you don't necessarily need that to build a fire or to break down an animal i mean i can break down an animal as well as you can with just a a scalpel like a very even moose a very small blade where i remember back in the day when i first started backpack hunting packing in probably a three pound wyoming saw i would kick my own ass back then if i you know looking back but you learn those things over time yeah yeah and the I think the walk, just talking about the walk, and that is a perfect example. I mean, somebody that only ever walks down a sidewalk just does not know how to walk in the woods. Um, and and uh, the fellow that I was talking about earlier is a perfect example of that. We were, this is a late season hunt. We were on the, we were on frozen ground and it was a little bit of a slope and like he could not stay upright. He could not stay on his feet. <laughs> I, he, I mean, he thought he, he was going to die. Like he thought he was going to fall off a mountain. I was like, you, dude, you can't fall off. It's like a slide. I mean, you, if you fall down, you might slide a little bit, then you stop yourself. But I, he was, he, there was places that he just wouldn't go um, because yeah. he, he didn't have the confidence to go there. Um, and just the, like, you know, when you're walking on a side hill and there's a skiff of snow, like, like kicking the walking on the edge of your feet or something, kicking the edge of your feet in, you know, so you get a grip instead of like, you know, walking flat footed where your feet are going to slide out from you. Just stuff like that, that you learn from being out there stuff that people don't get, um, without being out there. But I mean, that, yeah, that's I had, um, a lot of that okay. stuff. A lot of that, stuff, that, that, that's what I focus on a lot is on my YouTube channel is teaching 
fundamental stuff like that, basic stuff like that, that someone who doesn't have access to the woods might be able to watch that and be a, a little bit more prepared. And I do a lot of more advanced stuff as well, but I cover a lot of the basics, you know, on my channel. We, um, we do, uh, land nav and survival stalking courses. Um, and I had people get a hold of me like, why would anybody want to cut, you know, come to that? And I'm like, all right, why don't you come and then tell me if you learn anything? And so one of the things we do is we put a fake, a 3d target in a stalking position, you know, where applicable to actually hunting. And then what I do is I set up three uh, potential shot situations, and this is compound and traditional. So, you know, the first one, you when you roll up, it's bedded, you're 60 yards away. Not much stalking, but you better be able to shoot. The next scenario is a quicker shot, same deer, where you got to kind of, you got to draw back, step out, and make a very fast shot. The next one is stick bow range. You come in over the top at seven yards, eight yards. Well, then we put a little ninja down there to listen. And every time he hears you, he says, hey, and then you don't win, right? So like the, the louder you are, well, the one course I did, I had 15 guys and none of them made it farther or closer than 45 yards before you could hear them. And so now I'm like, okay, you go down there and I'm going to walk like you did. It's a learning thing, right? It's like, okay, well, then the one guy like knocks his arrow right before he comes over the cliff. And I'm like, immediate failure. You're done. Like, what do you mean? I'm like, dude, do you know how loud? Think about it. If I'm in my front yard or in my, my living room, and then I hear someone eject or, or, or load in a shell, I'm shitting my pants. Like I'm out of there. Right. And I was like, you were in his living room and knocked an arrow. And if that deer's five or six years old, he has probably heard that specific sound before. Like you got to think. And so whether it's your arrow bouncing around on your riser and it was an eye opener for me because that, that, that specific course, we went from glassing and finding the animal to route planning, to get out to the animal, to the final approach of the red zone. And then how they did it, how quick they did it, why they sped up. It was an eye opener. Um, and then I had Ryan Rotier. He's a gangster, right? It'd be like you rolling up. Ryan pulled up in cowboy boots. He was going to a fishing tournament just to say hi. He was coming through my house. And I was like, Ryan, get your big ass over here. And I said, there's a mule deer down there. Look in the spotting scope. You got five minutes to look at the deer and plan your route. And he's like, all right, I'm going to go over here like 30 seconds. And I was like, that's what he knows. He was a gangster, probably shot shit in blue jeans out of the back of a truck when he was a kid. He's done this. And they immediately were like, oh, holy cow. Like, yeah. That, that I, we get it, you know, so it's kind of an eye opener for them, you know, and, and again, things that I, I probably take for granted and I'm talking too much now, but I'm sure you can appreciate some of that. Oh, that's, <clears throat> I think that's a great format for a course. Um, and could do a lot of people, a lot of good. And, and I bet it's a lot of fun too, watching folks. You know, what wasn't fun is when I said you're graded on, uh, you know, speed, stealth and accuracy. Well, when I said speed, I just meant that you are not taking all day, right? The first guy on my run ran fucking 400 yards at a dead sprint the whole way, like ran. And I was like, holy cow. And I mean, super good, dude. And I, I was like, okay, I need to make sure you guys understand. And he might not have been the first, um, cause Ryan was funny. Ryan's a comedian. He was like, you run and I'm judging you, you fail. Like we aren't running here. Like, look at he Ryan's a big dude. He's like, does it look like I run and I kill everything I go after? He's like, I don't run at all. And so while fitness is important, he's a dude, I was wearing like moccasins, 
trying to keep up with this dude at a full sprint. And let me tell you, he runs for fun because that dude was fast. And I was like, <laughs> like embarrassing myself. I was like, I hope he stops. Jesus. But, you know, if you've never done, especially close range bow hunting or whatever, you, you know, the deer's bedded at 10 o'clock. You got some time, but those are things you learn over time. So, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. I'd like, but yeah, it was fun uh, for everybody else watching me run. <laughs> <laughs> what other kind of, what other kind of, uh, uh, courses you guys doing land navigations one like real land nav manual land nav where we teach you to read a mgrs or a utm grid yeah. you read a map totally plot out points intersection resection and we set up yeah. a land nav course so you you actually go and find the points and then plot out your next point and, and then you know come back home we do the glassing camp which is literally glassing long range we actually it's pretty cool we put 3d targets on the mountain um anywhere from 600 uh, yards out to about 1200 across huge mountain ranges. And then we have, you know, you put 10 guys out in chairs and they're spread out so nobody can cheat. And they, we put your ass behind the optics for two hours. And then uh, you win Swaros or, you know, Vortex or SIG or whatever. You win optics, you win bows. And, you know, once they, they get that, usually the hardest one has a set of binoculars sitting under it. And if they find that, um, they, they, they win that prize. So the hardest one, whoever wins is in a pot. Then we do target detection where we're a little bit closer up and I'll put hot wheels, cars or a hat or an arrow and it's closer up and you have less time to pick out what doesn't, you know, belong. Uh, we'll do that. And then the, the route planning on the stock, mm-hmm. uh, especially with specific wind directions. So it's like, okay, this deer's here, you're this distance, the wind's blowing this direction. Tell me, tell me how to get there. How are you going to, how are you going to get there and tell me how to get there because accuracy is part of it. Cause if you go with a stick bow, you're out, as you know, maybe a lot different than a dude with a compound. Cause if a dude with a compound can roll over a hill at 60 and bang it out, but then there's nothing from that point to the deer. Well, the dude with the, the, the stick bow may be doing some crab walking and low cr- or a duck walking and low crawling on a different route. And, and we assess all of that and then critique and then do it again, rinse and repeat. Um, it's pretty crazy how many people get nervous from me or you being behind them and miss a 3d target at 26 yards from nerve. I'm like, yeah, it wasn't going anywhere. That bitch is foam, but still that nerves, <laughs> it gets them ready. Right. You know, and yeah. the angle, you know, we do high angle shooting. Um, we do some like other courses, um, home self-defense. And then we do a lot of, I don't get too much into the bush crafting like i'm we're not building like wicker baskets or anything but we do we do go over primitive fishing things like you know that because that does happen on a backpack hunt. i always have like a survival fishing kit with me because there's nothing better on an elk hunt running into a pond full of cutthroat and then start yarding and cutthroat you know for dinner instead of a you know freeze-dried meal yeah so y'all you guys aren't doing any like survival specific courses though no well when i say that not 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 at like a high high level the the most specific course is is game game care how to ca- how to care for game in the in the wild and that goes from gutless method gut method breaking down the animal keeping it cool while yeah. you're in the field and then cooking it while you're in the field as well but that's why i was asking if that was something you ever wanted to get involved in you know you can set up trip snares and deadfalls all day long and come on out <laughs> yeah well set so, uh where's that where's your where's your facility located 
So we have uh, a place in uh, far west Texas, a place in Utah, a place in South Dakota, a place in Wyoming, and uh, missing one. What are you when? Uh, so you're doing classes in Tex in West Texas? Yeah, yeah. We have 120,000 acres to work with. Well, uh, we need to we need to get something together. Uh, yeah, I I dig coming down there and doing something. <laughs> yeah, you'd like it. I mean, honestly, the ones that uh, you know the the biggest thing on the snaring and and everything else is like I've trapped since I was a kid. But I would need to get a different following, one like yours, because I don't know that I'm going to be able to sell um, teaching how to do double sevens uh, or what I call a double seven. But basically this, you know, um, setting up for like a, a, a twitch snare or like deadfalls. That's just not the crew that follows me as much. Right? It's, <laughs> it's uh, And I mean, I've done it as a kid, but now if I do it, generally it, it's illegal as shit, right? So you can't do it in as many places as you used to be able to. Um, yeah. You know, so like th those courses, it's just not, again, it's yeah. everything more, I would say, modern wilderness survival. Yeah, uh, you can incorporate some of that stuff. Um, you need to deadfall a pig down there. That'd be awesome. Oh, dude, I... <laughs> I uh I don't know if I should I don't know man hypothetically uh <laughs> I got one on a beefy uh figure four deadfall um dude you know how long it takes you probably do those are easy with little rocks got one of those fuckers up with a 60 pound rock you about crush your hand it took a minute <laughs> to get it right like I I had to jack with it because that much weight and then you know trying to get it to come out of the little hypothetically javelina hole <laughs> Um, it took a while because of the, the weight of that rock, but yeah, cause I did that as a kid a lot. And I mean, way more than I should have, like we, like my mom, I don't know how she didn't have a heart attack for me running around the woods and bringing home shit. Like, well, I got one. Well, you know, so I'm like whittling out this deadfall and then as you know, you have a Paiute version and, uh, a little bit different, take some cordage. Well, I'd never built a heavyweight version of that. I'm sure you can. So I had just known the standard figure for deadfall. And so I'm like thinking, all right, well, what do I put a hypothetically again, a prickly pear on the end of my trigger? Like, what do they eat? I mean, they got these things everywhere. What the and so I was like, all right, I got it angled perfectly for it to hit coming out. Well, that was a whole nother crisis getting that, but it worked. I bet when I say it took a minute, I think it took four hours for me to get that thing right um, before I finally got it set. Yeah, the um, <clears throat> we uh, did a show like an off spin of Alone uh, last year, year before. I can't remember. Uh, Jordan was on there. It's called the Skills Challenge, and uh, one of the one of the challenges was to build a big game deadfall. And Jordan built a friggin' awesome one, but it was um, it was something that he had learned in Siberia or wherever the hell he was living. But it was for they use it for brown bears over there. Uh, but it was all it was all leverage. You know, it wasn't uh, he didn't have to use like super heavy stuff. He just used leverage and was able to put enough pressure on, you know, whatever his target animal was. But um, I don't know, man, it's stuff like that's fun to fun to play around with. Not probably not something that's super practical. I mean, the odds that you find yourself in a, like an extended survival wilderness living situation where you need something like that is pretty low but still fun to play with and 
Who knows, I, man? I tell you what's fun to do is if you're stuck in a base camp in the middle of nowhere in northern BC with an overabundance of porcupines, it gets to be real fun then. Like, <laughs> the only thing, like, you know, when you're not used to doing it all the time, the first time I was trying to teach a guy how to do a windlass, you'll, you'll, you'll lose a fucking eyeball quick. And I didn't even think about that because I had done them so much yeah where i you know to like hey have a little bit of you know like maybe sign off uh, osha approved like some safety rules like oh yeah i'm like here you go this is how you do it and kind of dude it why right in the middle of the forehead broke the stick he had a huge and i was like oh yeah dude those those have some some kick to them like oh yeah they do. i had built those i had built those before um with spikes right so when it trips it whips around and the, the you know the spike comes off hypothetically those are not legal, um, but I possibly could have when I was younger, far more than 10 years ago. But those are also super dangerous. So you got to know what you're doing or you can stab yourself real quick uh, building those. <laughs> See, I didn't have any idea that you did all this stuff back in the day. So, uh, I was a hoodlum yeah. as a kid, right? Uh, so my, uh, I'm from Detroit Lake, Oregon, and it's uh, 200 people in the middle of mm-hmm. Cascades. And so there's a lake that's like nine miles long where I'm from. So like my mom, I shouldn't even talk about this shit. So when the salmon would run, we would build a fish ladder and swedge these fish through. And then my buddy would be down with a net and we'd take PVC pipe that we really took out of the side of the road for marking the height of the snow and then cut it at an angle and then spear them. And my buddy would net them as we were spearing them. So that wasn't enough. So then we were trying to learn how to make an actual fish ladder. So we, we had built these. I'm probably not going to post this portion of, of this. Um, but <laughs> I think it's then, past uh, the statute of limitations. Uh, yeah, it still could look bad. But then I, I basically, we took a platform and built it out of uh, pecker poles and built walls on it so the fish would swim into that. Um, you know, and basically as they're, they're, they're going through that ladder or going through that swedge, they would end up on this platform and then be flopping around on, on top of that wood. Dude, I did all kinds of hoodlum shit when I was a kid. It was <laughs> really bad. I mean, I, uh, I snared a deer when I was eight years old and, uh, yeah, dude, I was always in golf. Like I'm definitely not posting this shit. I was always just enamored with survival as a kid Rambo. Right. I mean, I remember Rambo with the knife and so then I'd get books on, the, and once you learn that inverted or the double sevens, you can pretty much build anything you want. So I'm watching this and I take snare wire, loop it around, and then I have a stick going through with an apple, right? And then that triggers it and it snares the deer. Me not knowing that one, I didn't know that was illegal, but two, the, the meat like pumps full of blood like really bad right and so like you know the deer's not going to taste as good as it probably should so you need to you know probably make it into burger but as a kid when we did that i lit we literally were just in hog heaven cut it up and we're like getting lockjaw trying to eat this deer don't know any better right i mean like and i might have been i might have been 10 i was pretty young um so yeah it was it was uh quite calm i don't need whatever yeah i did I don't know how that, like, I didn't end up in jail when I was a kid, dude. There's nothing else to do. 200 people. It was an hour to any city. So, like, we we would, uh, you know those old Coglin's hammocks? Like, the really cheap hammocks you could buy, like, at a hardware store. Like, yeah. this big. Yeah. Yeah, that's, you know what those are good for? A fucking gill net. They are amazing. <laughs> at a, And so, 
we would get those and then we would like jerry rig up these gill nets for when the, the fish were running so yeah 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 i uh well that's I, I all gave that, my that, mom a heart attack that's all valuable experience man we'd 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 have got along real well <laughs> <laughs> well thing is you you look at that um again i don't know if i'm going to post this but when you're a kid and the uh, number one priority you have after school is a BB gun, whether that oh, means yeah. BB gun wars and you are shooting each other or you're shooting things you probably shouldn't be. Um, and then like box traps, we had like catch them live traps or what I call them box traps. Um, you know, and then those, cause we had gray squirrels, we had gray squirrels and they're like, really, they, they're good. Like they're really good to eat. Um, well, like, so when you get home, all you're doing is running around is shooting everything around your, you know, house. There wasn't a blue jay to be found by my house ever, right? And so then that kind of progressed. I got a Ruger 1022, um, you know, when as I got a little bit older. I don't know if you've seen with the banana clip, the little hot lips clip. Oh, yeah. You can yep. see through them. Yeah. So, you know, it went from that and then it was... Yeah, dude, we were bad. So then we we learned how to trap for real, not just box traps from my my buddy. So then we did, started doing cubby sets. And one of the greatest sets, which is illegal as shit, I would sprinkle bird seed and then hang a Christmas ornament up. And I mean a pile of bird seed. And then I would put high jumps all the way around. The only problem is you occasionally catch a crow and, and things like that because there's so much bird seed. But dude, that is lethal for bobcats. Um, but did we caught a mountain lion once, a baby? So imagine you and me, fat kid and skinny boy, right? 13, with the mountain lion in your trap, right? <laughs> and a high jump. Because it's for bobcats, right? It's not for, but it's little. So now we're figuring out, you know, even then we had some sense we need to let it go. So we're like, you know, Rochambeauing it or who puts their jacket over the head to try to calm this thing down to loosen the trap. Yeah, dude, that was an experience. <laughs> So I'm I'm not following you on the on this high jump trap, but I'm curious about it. Can you explain that to me a little bit better? Oh, the high jump trap, it's it's just a foothold trap that jumps up higher to get over the foot. It's just springs oh. up. So you know how you have the double, you got the double okay. clamp trap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a high jump just j- jumps up higher to get over the paw. Gotcha. All right. And so we 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 would now keep in mind we're stealing most of these traps from all my dad's friends, right? When I say stealing. We're borrowing them because they don't use them anymore. And so, like, you you use what you got. Well, mm-hmm. Bobcats being a big one. Um, and I'm not, like, a super high-level trapper like some dudes I know. But, like, you know, we figured out what a conibear was. And Oregon has a lot of beavers. Mm-hmm. That consumed the majority of my life. With, with beavers, you know where they're going, right? There's a giant slide. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. But anyway. I should stop talking before I do get myself in trouble. <laughs> That's all good stuff. No, it's uh, yeah. it was the yeah. same same with me when I was a kid. I mean, hell, growing up in the South, I mean, game laws were more we game laws were treated more like a suggestions than anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would imagine you were doing the same thing the way you like you talked about the way that you were raised when you got home. Were you going to play Nintendo or is the first thing you wanted to go grab a fishing pole or a, a, a BB gun? When I, when I was not, when I was in school, I was thinking about the woods. And when I was out of school, I was in the woods and I was, uh, at that time, like I said, I mean, it was a rural, 
a very rural place. Um, and my, so I was really fortunate in where I grew up, uh, because my dad, I grew up on a ranch. So my dad had the, the 130 acres or so. And then his, all his, all my aunts and uncles owned all the land around us. And so I had, you know, several thousand acres to go fiddle around on. And at that time, nobody gave a damn about trespass anyway. So I could just go wherever I wanted to. And so we had swamps and, uh, pine woods and oak hammocks and all sorts of stuff. Um, when I was a kid, I just, I mean, I remember when I was probably that around that same age, around 12, 13 years old, I was running a trap line, um, every single day. I mean, I'd get up before school and run my trap line, check and reset stuff and then go to school and I'd come back and I'd get back out there either fishing or, you know, had a, I remember I had a Crossman 22 caliber pump pellet gun and I used to keep, <laughs> I used to keep those, you know, that, you know how those lead pellets used to come in those little plastic boxes. I would take a, like a half a handful of those lead pellets and I'd put them in my cheek and I'd use that as my shot holder. And I just spit out pellets whenever I needed one. I probably got yeah. some sort of lingering health problems from that shit, but that's that's the way we did it back in the day well it's funny when we because you and i are we're not we're pretty close to the same age like when we were living high on the hog was when we got the co2 gun the the non-pump you know because that if i remember that crossman you could only pump it 10 times and then you were pumping for no reason and uh but then we got a co2 uh you know pellet gun or you know bb gun or whatever and then like during that time is when i learned archery right i went to a hunter safety course when i was 12 and a guy came in and bow hunted and taught about archery in that course and that's when archery took over um which i couldn't hit shit back then anyway you know but i remember those sabora like basically razor blade thickness blades that uh uh the cheapest broadhead you could possibly get shooting game getter twos and like when you broke a knock you about cried because we were an hour from anything So it wasn't like I was like, oh, let me just run down the road and grab a knock. You know, they just, it was, you know, because we're so far away. But yeah, I was, uh, I don't know how one of us didn't lose an eyeball because it's like fairly, you know, 15 year old, 14 year old, we had BB gun wars. And like, us too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Cause I remember thinking, man, maybe we should wear glasses like this, you know, (laughs) cause I remember I I had gotten hit in my lip and I told my mom I got stuck by a bee because it had like swollen up really big. (laughs) And so my mom's like, that doesn't look like a beast. You know, my, my mom's not full dumb. Like my mom knew what was going on most of the time. Like, uh, yeah, like uh, it was pretty well, but being on that lake shit, dude, we had, I think there's 13 major rivers and creeks running in and out of that thing. So fishing was the big one. Like we fished a, a ton. Cause you know, as a little fat kid, I could go from my house and then two miles walk and be at the docks and then they'd stock it, you know? And then, that that specific portion because i worked on that trail crew team in the summer um mm-hmm. and we would clear out trails and dude that is what made me a fucking man so we cleared out all the wilderness trails with single and double bucks and hatchets right for all the old growth trees and i was working with grown men but like I, you know i made 325 an hour uh yeah. literally like i was running a power saw at a young age right and then those guys obviously we would do 10 miles a day clearing trail 
So, you know, like my daughter now, she, she's asking about, did I have a job? I'm like, Kaylee, I was falling trees when I was 12 years old. I'm like, yeah, I, I had a job. You know, whatever. It's the only way I could afford school clothes. Yeah. And, th- and those things, those, those type of experiences are so, so valuable. I mean, it, it makes me think of the way I grew up on the ranch, you know, hell I was welding by the time I was 12 years old, um, <laughs> you know, working on diesel engines and just, you just, that's just stuff that you do, you know, so you don't, you don't think about it. You just do it and you pick it up. <clears throat> yeah. Well, it's product of your environment or whatever. When we were down in, uh, North Texas up in the panhandle, I took Amy turkey hunting and we were coming out there branding. And uh, it was two 14, 15 year old kids running the whole operation. And Amy was like, what's that smell? And uh, I was like, it's, it's uh, their branding. And I said, here, let me introduce you to these kids. Cause I wanted to introduce what I would consider kids, like good kids. And uh, I can't remember what the hell the one kid's name, Cotton Lee Bailey. I was like, hey, dude, or hey, kids, what's up? Or I was like, hey, guys, what's up? Nothing. And I was like, hey, this is my wife, Amy. And he just, Cotton Lee Bailey, how you doing, ma'am? And he's cowboy hat and a big belt buckle. And he's like, where are their parents? And I'm like, oh, they're running this operation. Like, I guarantee they've been doing this shit since they were in diapers. And I was like, yeah. just you two? Yep. Dad's gone. He's going to come back later today. And they're just, you know, running cattle down the chute. And I don't know shit about cattle. But, you know, every year. Uh, turkey hunted down there same same time frame and she was like my god they're kids and i'm like not down here they're not it's a different you know kind of like you said how you and i were raised so yeah absolutely i mean my uh made me think my grandfather hell he was working at a brickyard when he was eight years old <laughs> starts from young <laughs> yeah well i i can't i can't i wouldn't i wouldn't personally change anything on you know like it was good you know for me like I'm glad that I, you know, I'm glad I was raised the way I was raised, I guess. Um, me too. 100%. I don't know what would have, it would have killed me, I think, being raised in the city. So, yeah, 100%. Oh, well, cool, man. I don't want to take up, we, oh, Jesus, we've been on an hour and 40 minutes. That was quick. Um, yeah, but I, man, I appreciate you hopping on and obviously support of the company and everything else. And, and yeah, uh, let everybody know where the, the YouTube page is and everything so people can come check it out. Uh, if you just Google my name, Google Clay Hayes, you'll find all that stuff. Uh, Clay Hayes Hunter on Instagram. Mm. I have a Facebook page, but I don't ever get on there. I don't like Facebook. <laughs> cool, man. Well, again, congratulations on alone. Thank you for everything. And, uh, yeah, dude, I appreciate you hopping on here. I've, uh, I've really enjoyed it, man. We'll have to talk again. All right, for sure.